0: Happy February and welcome to the Mental Minute with Michigan Medicine's first episode of 2022 where we talk all things mental health. I'm your host, Will Heininger, and I'm excited to have my colleague, Taylor Paul, co-hosting with me today. Taylor, thanks for joining me. I want to ask you the Jeremy question, how are things? But maybe you could introduce yourself a bit as well.
1: Thanks, Will. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. This is my very first podcast recording, so thank you so much for having me. Um, my name's Taylor Paul, and I'm the Outreach and Education Program Coordinator with the University of Michigan Eisenberg Family Depression Center. Um, a little bit about me: I uh, went to Michigan State University for my undergrad, where I received a dual degree in Arts and Humanities and Spanish. Then I worked for a bit before coming to the University of Michigan to get my master's in social work. So I'm one of the lucky few who can root for both teams. I know we're going to talk sports a little bit later, um, and I am a yeah. limited license master social worker. So I'm very passionate about mental health. I'm passionate about education, prevention, as well as treatment. And I'm really excited to be here today to talk more about some awesome mental health projects we have going on.
0: Absolutely. And excited that you bring all those perspectives that you do within this mental health space. Um, Also excited for our interview coming up after the break with another aspiring clinician, um, Hannah Becker, who is also the Naveed Arif Iqbal Award winner for 2021. Uh, Taylor, since you work directly in that space with the award, could you tell us a little bit about The Navita Reef Iqbal Award, what it's about, what the criteria are, and how the winner or winners are selected.
1: Absolutely. So, the Navita Reef Iqbal Award for Mental Health Advocacy and Stigma Reduction actually promotes and enhances innovative stigma reduction efforts through a $2,000 grant that will further these endeavors. So, further these innovative stigma reduction efforts. Um, We know that raising mental health awareness and reducing stigma is actually a community-wide effort that includes both interdisciplinary work as well as the creativity, drive, and passion of community members. And so the purpose of this award is to provide new, innovative, and even experimental approaches to tackling mental health stigma within within Washtenaw County particularly targeting young adults. And we know that stigma reduction efforts can take many forms. And so the awesome thing about this award is it really encourages create creativity in new projects to help reduce stigma for our young adults. So the award is led by the Eisenberg Family Depression Center, and it is made possible through the support of the Naveed Arif Iqbal Endowment Fund, which was established by Mr. Arif Iqbal, of Kyoto, Japan, who is an alum of the University of Michigan, and it's in memory of his son Naveed. And believing that stigma prevented Naveed from sharing his struggles with his family, co-workers, or friends, and from seeking treatment, Mr. Iqbal expressed a really sincere desire to support efforts to reduce stigma in our communities, which is how this award came about.
0: And Taylor, as far as applying for the award, getting involved, uh, winning, the criteria, what are you guys looking for?
1: Yes, thanks, Will. So this award is really cool because it is open to a person, group, or community organization within the Washtenaw County area. So it's pretty wide and broad. Um, and so what we are really looking for is applicants to demonstrate a previous commitment to community efforts especially around mental health awareness and stigma reduction, or if you don't have that experience, a really compelling reason why you're interested in this work. Um, We also are looking for an innovative approach to reducing mental health stigma and promoting advocacy And we request that there's a completion of a mental health awareness or stigma reduction initiative done within the year of receiving the award. Um, So ultimately, we're looking to expand the reach of mental health awareness, stigma reduction, and resources for young adults within the Washtenaw County area. And anyone who is 18 or older can apply, and they just have to be the lead applicant. So this um, award is actually open to groups of, of folks. So if someone who's under the age of 18 wants to apply with someone who is 18, they are more than welcome to do that.
0: Awesome, thank you, Taylor, for the background on this fantastic award and really looking forward to diving in after the break here to our interview with Hannah with this year's award winner to learn more about her work within stigma reduction and improving mental health outcomes in her area. And before we get to the break, as you may or may not know, it's time for our Sports Minute. I would say you know the drill, but in this case, it is Taylor's first Sports Minute. So I'll politely go over the rules again. This is where each host gets 30 seconds to mention anything sports related that they would like. It was designed by our former We'll love colleague and co-host Jeremy Fallis, because, quote, because we love sports, but no one wants to hear us talk about them so we can find it to a minute, unquote. I will go first because I know Taylor is figuring out what she is going to say during her time. I will just ask in advance that she keep any Spartan talk to a minimum. All right, putting myself on the clock, here goes. Shocker, I'm going with Michigan football. We have not had an episode since the end of the season. So I really just want to congratulate all of those involved. What a special season it was. The snow coming down in the big house as the reality set in on 110,000 people plus that Michigan was going to beat Ohio State. (sighs) Taylor, I can get used to that feeling on a regular basis. So congratulations to the Big Ten champions our Michigan Wolverines. Taylor, you ready over there? What do you got?
1: Thanks, Will. Well, since I did go to undergrad at MSU, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about this weekend's men's basketball game, so Michigan State versus Michigan. I know the listeners will already know how that game turned out by the time they listen to this, but I am very excited to see some quality basketball be played. Um, Today, I'm wearing some Michigan gear. Tomorrow, you better be in my Michigan State gear. So I'm I'm here for whatever happens, but I'm hoping for a good game.
0: Well done. Fantastic initial sports minute from Taylor. Let's take a quick break. And when we return, we'll have our interview with Hannah Becker. the Mental Minute with Michigan Medicine. We are grateful to be joined today by Hannah Becker, a PhD student in clinical science here at the University of Michigan, as well as the 2021 winner of the Naveed Iqbal Award for Advocacy and Stigma Reduction. Hannah, thank you for joining us today.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to meet you both.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. So we definitely want to eventually get to your current work, but could you tell us a little bit about your background, what got you interested in mental health as a whole and maybe in clinical psych more specifically?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, So like you said, I'm a second year doctoral student here in the clinical psychology, clinical science program at the University of Michigan. Um, And I have fortunate to have a lot of roles through that, that position. So I am receiving clinical training to become eventually a psychologist. Uh, and also I conduct my research um, and mostly I'm focused on using neuroimaging tools to understand pediatric anxiety and OCD and that's something that I've been you know involved in for many many years now Um, and then I also you know get to teach undergrads which I love as a graduate student instructor Um, and so I kind of get to uh introduce all the different types of um, mental illness and mental disorders to undergrads. And then, you know, I have recently had the opportunity, um, thanks to the Eisenberg Family Depression Center and funding, you know, start this podcast called The Syllabus for Overcoming Stigma, which I'm definitely excited to talk more about today. But yeah, that's something you know, I've been involved in research for a long time, getting more into clinical work over the past year, and now really excited to kind of work with the community in this way through the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Hannah. That is a lot of background that you have in mental health, and it's so exciting to hear kind of your pathway forward as well. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about your podcast and the mission um, of the podcast overall? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks for asking. I was super excited
2: to talk about the podcast. Um, But yeah, it's a variety of things. I think it was born out of this idea that You know, I've, over the past year, and through my classes and clinical training, seen how well um, treatment can work for mental illness. And really, we do have a lot of great treatments available. Certainly, it takes a while to find the right clinician or treatment program for a person. But I guess I've been really encouraged by that process. Certainly, there are barriers um, to mental health care as well, which we can talk more about. But one of the barriers that seems a little bit more modifiable is that one of the things that keeps a lot of people especially kind of in this college student young adult population from seeking treatment is really the stigma associated with um, mental illness so my ultimate goal was to hopefully increase um, people's participation in treatment and if people are experiencing these symptoms that you know they know that they're not alone um, they can hear about experiences that might be very similar to their own from people who are actually the same age as them so it's not like an older person' you know giving them, their perspective, but actually somebody who's, you know, a peer. Um, It's also somewhat anonymous, right? So one of the barriers is um, to getting treatment is that you have to kind of expose yourself as somebody who might have these symptoms, but the podcast might be an early start. That's kind of, you can just listen to it, put it on. Nobody knows you're listening to it um, as a way to maybe ease you into that process of eventually seeking treatments. There's a lot of evidence to support that this Kind of age group, the main way that they're seeking out information about mental illness is through the internet, through podcasts, through blogging, through YouTube. Um, so this was supposed to be a way that I could provide that space, um, but also, you know, hope that center a little bit the information that we're providing, that it's non-stigmatizing, that it's accurate based on the evidence that we have currently. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of all of those things, but it's a really tricky time, I think, for for um, development and, and that age right around the college student age and a little bit younger in high school. There's so many changes going on, both, you know, in neurobiologically, but also just socially. It's the first time a lot of people are living on their own. There's a lot of social changes as well. So we do see a lot of mental illness symptoms start to emerge around this time. And so I guess all of that is to say that I think it's a good space to kind of see this. And also I just, I only lived in Ann Arbor for like a year and a half now, but I love the community here. Um, And I think it's a really interesting experiment almost to see if in this really tight knit small community, we actually could start to make progress on improving um, mental stigma around mental illness um, and that we could actually maybe see some changes if we are all working together. And it could potentially, because it is such a tight knit um, community, maybe that people would feel uh, more close to those on the podcast or sharing their experiences. And that, that might kind of help people feel more comfortable.
0: Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Absolutely. And something that's near and dear to my heart, um, not that I expect you to know my story. I've shared it on here before, um, but I was around that age, you know, college age and experienced major depression and anxiety for the first time. But didn't know what they were. And in fact, luckily had a partner at the time who, um, was an undergrad psych student. So, uh, you know, helpful that she helped normalize. But when I look back, aside from not knowing and being uneducated, then there was the stigma that got in the way. And I was also playing football. So that put in my question to you is in what ways do you see stigma sort of play out in your day-to-day life that is in your professional work, whether it's, Mm. um, getting people or or preventing people from getting to treatment or disrupting treatment or anything else um, that that you're seeing as a clinician, as a researcher?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I do think one of the barriers is uh, preventing treatment seeking. And so there's some studies that show, you know in communities with less stigma, uh, actually people are more likely to seek treatment. There've been studies on that just even within college campuses. Um, so, I do see that as kind of the barrier, at least that I'm hoping to target through the podcast. Um, but there are certainly other stigma related uh, things that make treatment challenging. And I think one of them is sharing that you're even seeking treatment with people around you who know you, uh, cutting time out of your day to go <laughs> receive therapy. Um, I think that that's something that's actually improved a little bit in the pandemic because we've switched to virtual appointments for a lot of people. So that takes away some of the stigma of going to a therapist's office and maybe you're running into people on the way there. Um, These are things that I think have somewhat reduced the barriers associated with stigma to actually getting treatment. But definitely just like the idea to make the call to reach out and to tell people, you know, sometimes the actual process of getting the treatment is very difficult and often hard for people to do completely on their own. So usually you do have to enlist other people in that process. So even just sharing that with friends and family to help you get that treatment um, can be really difficult because of the stigma associated with what that means. And people who are employed, that's certainly a
1: challenge as well, and, and sharing that with an employer. Yeah, definitely. So we're hearing you describe that it takes a a support system and in a community to really address stigma and also to, um, really like really empower folks to, to find and seek out treatment though. We also know there are so many barriers Mm. to that, which I, I heard you describe, um, I'm wondering too, your podcast really focuses on the individual personal experience of your interviewees, um, which puts a human face to a medical condition and can really help reduce stigma. And I know you're at the start of your podcast, so you have two episodes out right now, (laughs) which is very exciting. But I'm wondering if you could share maybe a theme or two that you're noticing when interviewing these two, particularly around their own experience and their, um, and especially with stigma. Yeah, um,
2: that's a great question. I have tried to center some of my questions that I asked on the podcast about stigma. And the people I've had on the podcast have been incredibly brave, eloquent, amazing, I think. I've gotten a lot of feedback that, you know, those were excellent people, their, their stories, the ability of those people to share their stories has been helpful to others clearly. Um, and so that's been great. I guess that in terms of the individual experience, it seems like stigma is pretty pervasive. So even though uh, these people are confident in sharing their stories on a very public stage, that's not to say that they haven't encountered stigma along their way um, and still encounter it today. So that's actually been really interesting for me to hear. And I've learned so much from the two guests that we've had on the podcast so far, just kind of seeing how they've navigated that whole process and what has been helpful for them in, in dealing with that stigma. And there's also been a lot of discussion about Uh, support cats, which seems to be a common theme. I'm curious to see if that continues to emerge with other guests, but definitely, yeah, like the support system seems to be really important as well as helping people initially make that bridge into seeking treatment.
0: Absolutely. And as we know, you know, more access to, to better care, Mm. going to lead to better results. And one of the questions I've enjoyed asking um, admittedly, uh, people who are a little farther in their careers often is to look back maybe on mm-hmm. the past 10, 15 years, the ways that mental health has changed um, in their time. Now, I will give you that option, but I was going <laughs> to put a small twist on it and Thank see you. Um, maybe, you know, in the in the decade to come um, with the way that your work is going, your research is going, your career is going, some of the things that you either hope to see, would like to see, potentially even, you um, might expect to see within the mental health space that are encouraging, Mm -hmm. that are reasons for hope?
2: Okay, great question. I have a lot of thoughts on this. (laughs) I think there's a few spheres. The first is obviously making care more accessible um, and easy to access. So there's a lot of ways that I think this is feasible. Not all of them are financially bound, but definitely being able to uh, meet people where they're at with treatment. So, I think there's a lot of new trends towards these briefer or shorter interventions, more brief. <laughs> so, you know, even in a few sessions, what can we achieve with a uh, patient to kind of meet them where they're at and, and see how we can move forward with their, get, making sure they're getting the treatment that they need, but in a way that doesn't feel so overwhelming and time-consuming and potentially financially uh, resource-heavy. So, I think that's one part of it. One other thing too is just making sure that people who need care can at least know that uh, they can and should seek out care. And so one of the ways, actually Dr. Gerhardt, who's a professor here in the psychology department who I'm GSIing for, this is kind of her concept that she's brought forward, but I love it. This idea of kind of early screening for um, mental illness or symptoms of mental illness in the same way that we do a lot of. Uh, screening for his physical health issues uh, in, you know, doctor's offices and things like that. So I think being more aware, normalizing that process, you know, maybe even when you come to college, taking some sort of screener, I think there are some places that have started to implement this, but to assess sort of symptoms, just so that you can know to be aware of them um, and know what to look out for and know kind of what are some signs that you should really start Um, seeking treatment. And then once you've made that decision to seeking treatment, again, making that process easier right now, there are huge wait lists um, to see a provider. So I think getting more uh, providers and maybe doing these shorter treatments so that we can reach a larger group of people.
1: Thanks so much, Hannah. I appreciate that. Um, Will, was there any comment you had to add on there?
0: No, just that those, the things that Hannah mentioned do provide hope. They make me, um, you know, they bring a light in a time when, you know, some of us, as we know, struggle with some of these issues and uh, to hear somebody who is on the front lines and um, learning and and obviously working in this space um, to have that hope and those wishes for the future just uh, gives me a little as well. And that's why you saw me smiling, Taylor.
2: I should also say too, like a little bit more with the virtual therapy, that's something I've kind of started my clinical training in the pandemic. So that's been really interesting for me to observe. And I do see hope in that there's a large population of people who live in rural areas, or areas where they don't have access to um, providers in person who might be doing the types of treatments that they need, especially for some of these disorders that um, are more rare or less common. So that's something exciting about uh, teletherapy that I think we can be excited about for the future that we might actually be able to reach some of these people um, who typically would not have access to in-person care and that we might be able to reduce some of the financial burden associated with driving an hour <laughs> to get to um, just to see a provider.
1: Definitely. There's a lot of optimism and hope for the future. And that's what I'm hearing from you. And I'm also hearing that, you know, it's not just one level, right? We've got to educate folks, reduce the stigma, then from there, you know, increase access to care and effective treatments. And it sounds like both through your clinical training, what you're doing now in the research that you're doing, as well as the awesome work you're doing with your podcast, really hitting different levels, which we are so appreciative of. Um, and I just think for my last question, I would love to hear from you. What do you hope a listener walks away um, from your podcast with? Like, is there any message you want them to walk away with? Yes,
2: definitely. So some of the ways that I have actually been shown to reduce stigma in certain communities are education, literacy, and contact with people who have had those experiences. And so I've kind of taken that into the model of also what I hope that people will walk away from with the podcast. So definitely I want people to know that they're not alone. I think there's this myth that mental illness is really rare, um, but it's actually experienced by a huge percentage and the majority of the population, especially today as we're better able to attend and understand the symptoms, uh, and especially in this population of college students. So I just want people to know that they're not alone, even with some of these disorders that are less often talked about, like we had um, an individual with uh, borderline personality disorder on, on the last episode. That's you know, less common than depression, and anxiety, but certainly um, there are many people that experience that even on university of Michigan's campus. So I think walking away, knowing that you're not alone. And then one thing that I've also really tried to emphasize is that there is hope. And that sounds a little bit cliche, but that everyone who's come on the podcast has received treatment in some capacity for their symptoms and has walked us through as listeners That treatment process and never once has it been linear. So, these are people who have gotten, you know, many different, seen many different clinicians, tried many different medications or different types of therapy, um, but are now, you know, experiencing some reduction in their symptoms and living their lives as they'd like to live them. So, I hope that that's encouraging for people as well, even though I think one of the downsides or something that gets me discouraged sometimes as a training clinician is really how hard it is to find the right treatment for the right person um, and some of the other barriers that we've talked about to accessing care. So I really hope that people can take that away, even if they have started that journey of seeking treatment, that to know that (laughs) there is an end and that hopefully they will have um, a positive outcome and and not to get discouraged along their treatment journey. um, Because I don't want people to start therapy or start a medication and then feel that um you know that's the only solution, right? There are many different types of therapies that we have. And like I was saying, I am kind of hopeful about those, but it does take time to find the right one for the right person. Um, and so yeah, I guess some one other thing I'd like people to take away too, which I hoping to do more as the podcast progresses, but to really be aware of kind of what some of the symptoms of these disorders are. So that's another aspect, right? Like education, being aware and being able to monitor your own symptoms in your own life and knowing that if something does start to change and it is impairing to you and causing impairment in your life, then that might be a good time to reach out to family or to friends. Um, and then maybe eventually reach out to seek treatment. If you decide that's kind of what's best for you, but being kind of aware of these things, sometimes people don't know and you know, you're having this, different experience for yourself. You're in a really new situation and you're wondering, is this normal? Could I seek treatment? Is this something I could seek treatment for? So I'm hoping for some of these disorders to, to for listeners, they can know to be aware of maybe some of these signs and symptoms of when it's a good idea to seek help.
0: Absolutely. And one thing that stood out, if we had a pull quote from this episode or a little caption for social media would be when you said they've tried lots of different treatments and never has it been linear. And I think that's so encouraging patient and provider standpoint, I would assume from the the latter, I know, as a patient, because it's not linear. I think we have this assumption or hope that it will be. And even if we break down other medical situations we've been in, it might seem like it was linear, but probably it wasn't. There were some starts and stops and highs and lows. And I just think it's so important to remember because. Our mood is dynamic, right? It's not going to stay the same, and it's also not going to go in one direction forever, um, which is both, you know, <laughs> can be good and, and bad. But um, Hannah, the the last thing we like to do is just give you one opportunity to plug anything else you'd want, or replug the podcast if you want uh, social media. The floor is yours.
2: <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, I'd love to just promote the podcast a little bit. Um, I'm hoping to reach more people with it, especially kind of the undergraduate and maybe even high school population. Um, So it's available on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. It's called The Syllabus for Overcoming Stigma. Maybe you can link it as well somewhere. Um, But yeah, and there's also some stigma community surveys that I'm trying to put out there to get a good sense of what stigma around mental illness is currently like in our community. So um, I have those as well. And if you take those, you can be entered into winning a a gift card. And then if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, uh, you can also um, fill out a form. And I've had a lot of wonderful responses. And I'm hoping that I can have a lot of people on in the coming months. Um, But if you feel comfortable and would be willing to share your story, I'd love to hear from you as well.
0: Fantastic. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. That concludes this episode of the Mental Minute with Michigan Medicine. A special thanks to Fatima Dodwala for assistance with this episode. Be sure to tell your friends about us. Please subscribe and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Do you have a question or a comment for us? If so, email us at mentalminute@umich.edu. at Follow the Eisenberg Family Depression Center on social media. Our Twitter handle is at depressioncntr. Like us on Facebook at University of Michigan Depression Center and follow Michigan Medicine on Instagram at umichmedicine. Visit thedepressioncenter.org for more information on all our activities, events, programs, and research. Have a great start to your February and hopefully the warmer weather isn't too far away. See you all next month.